Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply fellas. Uh, I think I might get my ass kicked when I get back here this afternoon. I gave Manny a free pair of tickets to the Twins oh, last no, night. You didn't, dude. Why yeah. would you do oh, no. that to a friend? I, I don't. I, I realize now what a mistake I made, and I'm going to need to apologize to him. That's like, that's like pooping in a brown paper bag and lighting it on yeah. fire and putting it on uh, someone's doorstep. It was very rude of me. Is giving a free pair of Twins tickets going to be like the new Smirnoff ice thing where you like you ice somebody? <laughs> gotcha. You got twinned. Oh. Oh, snap! <laughs> there goes Pilar. He got a terrific jump. There goes Morales, and they're not going to make a throw. Ball gets away. Here comes Pilar. He's going to score. Ground ball is short, and Gopé's coming home, and they boot it. All hands are safe. That ball gets away. Here comes another run. Bailey scores. You know, it's not going to show up in the box score as errors or anything like that, but this is un-Minnesota Twins-like baseball. Wheel of Dysfunction! That's three shows in a row, gentlemen, I believe, that we've started the show with this, right? Yeah. This might be a record for the Mackie and Judd show. Yeah, it's well-deserved, too. Judd, why don't you give it a spin? Go ahead, bud. All right, hold on. Here we go. Spin that wheel, and around it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. Oh, oh so many options here. Oh, it could be either one of these. Oh. Oh, look at this. Going wild. Ooh. Okay, let's start here. Dave Harrigan's a ninth grade baseball coach. How That's long true. have you been coaching ninth grade baseball? Oh, a dozen years or so. What happens when you get runners on first and third offensively, and you're over there, all right, you've got the, the power at third base, you can do anything you want. Like first and third, and uh, I don't know, could be two outs, zero outs, whatever. Yeah. Like, walk us through a standard situation in ninth grade baseball. It's a struggle between the decision to A, either send the runner on the pitch, or B, do that crazy thing where the runner leaves early and then gets the pitcher all confused. And, and you stops hope he, between first and yeah, second you, base. You hope he either yeah. balks or else just throws wildly over somebody's head and everybody just runs around the bases till they fall down. Just yeah. panics completely. Yeah, yeah I like sure. that. Yeah. Yeah, it's what, wonderful. What about defensively if you're your ninth grade baseball coach and you've got your ninth grade catcher and your ninth grade pitcher yeah. and the opposing team has runners on first and third? And you're worried about the runner on first base, and that mm -hmm. runner takes off at yeah. some point. Like the pitch is thrown, and the runner takes off. Yeah. What well, do you instruct them to do? Oh, a lot of different options. You know, if he leaves early, pitcher's got to step off. Don't freak out. Yeah. Don't freak out, boys. <laughs> all right, you got more time than you think. You'll be all right. You're okay. But then if he leaves with the pitch, you know, you yeah. got the throw through. You got the throw to third. You got the cutoff play with a shortstop or second baseman coming in front to oh, yeah. get that runner at home. It never really works, but it's, no, always, it's fun to yeah. think about. 
It looks good when you die. I think it worked once back in like 09. Right. Yeah, it was awesome. I love how a Major League Baseball team last night at Target Field, that's what the Twins are, at least representing <laughs> themselves really, as. Is that really right? what they are? In the ninth inning of a tie game, a Major League Baseball team, and I think Kendrick Morales was the runner on first base, that's right. by the way. Yes. Like, literally a oh, bag no. of rocks on a he dolly. Was. Yeah. Yeah. And and instead of Mitch Garver throwing down to second base like a professional catcher and gunning down one of the slowest runners in baseball, and then if they get frisky and come home, you rifle that ball back home, middle infielder, for a double play, that's and what, you go hit the ball, yes, that's and what you win the league, game. That's what big league teams would like yeah. to do. Otherwise, like ninth grade baseball, every team would just steal second base or try to confuse the pitcher in a first and third situation. There's a reason you never see that because these are supposed to be major league bleeping players. No, no, no. With the Curtis and Garver battery, it works really well. The ninth grade play works really well. In fact, it works to perfection. Kendris Morales hadn't stolen a base since 2009. The last time Kendris Morales stole a base was something like September of 2009. And they had full confidence that between John Curtis and Mitch Garver... Who, who have a fighting chance of making a future top twin t- top 10 twins that drove you mad list looked completely overmatched. Like, think about how insulting it is, but, but accurate in their assessment in retrospect. If the opposing manager says, you know what? I know Kendry's Morales hasn't stolen a base since the uh, first term of Barack Obama's presidency, but... Let's send him and have him kind of try to get in a hot box over there and keep the ball alive for this incompetent catcher and this deer in the headlights pitcher that the Twins are running out there in the tenth inning. Like, how insulting is that? Yeah, no, and it, they were right. Yeah, it it was everything that we see in this homestand goes back to what we talked about a couple days ago, which is this: everything goes back to uh, 2016. It does. Last night looked that sequence of plays looked exactly like 2016. It's embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing to watch. And, you know, they came back and Rosario hits the home run and you're thinking, okay, they're they're in decent shape here. They're still not very good, but they're in decent shape. And you, you don't lose the game. You completely fall apart, collapse, and look as inept as possible while doing so. Can yeah. we just point out that Judge just said when the Twins went ahead in the bottom of the sixth, yeah. Your thought was, yeah, they're in decent shape. I thought they're, they're in decent, decent shape. shape. I thought they're in they got the shape. lead. They're in decent shape. I did. I thought they're in decent <laughs> They've shape. They've got a fighting yeah. chance of holding on to this lead. They got, you know, they're, well, well, and, and their, <laughs> their bullpen at that point sets up okay, right? Because if you go, if you go Reed, Duke, and then it's Rodney, which scares me. But if you go Reed, or Duke, Duke Reed, Reed yeah. you think you're, you're in decent shape. You're not, you know, it's not awful. Yeah, little did they know they were going to bring in. Like, and this, by the way, John Curtis was the closer for the last couple of years for the Rochester Red Wings, and so he is he was their most trusted reliever, <laughs> pitching in key late game situations. And honest to God, between him and Mitch Garver, who is he's not Mitch Garver's not twenty two years old and new at this thing. He's twenty seven years old and been catching for several years professionally. Could have fooled me. And they looked like they had. I think part of it too is the Twins were counting down their mound visits. They only had like two mound visits left in the tenth inning, and so. Like John Curtis looked like he had just seen a ghost when the momentum starts swinging against him, and the Twins Wait. finally, like they just whoa, sent the whoa, pitching whoa. coach out. You you get one added for every in- inning that you play. They add one. That really should that so, really yeah, okay. shouldn't be a problem for these guys. But it was like clearly a meeting was needed at some point, and finally they send out like Garver. Like Garver did nothing 
A, didn't block anything, well, and then did nothing to keep could, his pitcher calm. You could have stopped at nothing. And let's remember, Curtis was the closer for AAA, and he now again is the closer, the closer. for AAA yeah. Rochester. Is he not going to pitch here anymore? Uh, credit where credit is due on yesterday's show mm. to the Catching Whisperer. Catching Whisperer. Matthew Collar doesn't just like football. He loves catching, too. Framing, blocking. Yes. All yeah. things that the backup can't really do. No, none of those things. Don't mention uh, throwing. Yes. He, like, came on the show before we got, we got into the NFL Vikings discussion. Oh, he melted down about Garver. Like, like, he hijacked the show for five minutes to talk about how terrible Mitch Garver is. Yes. And so Collar, for some background, used to do minor league play-by-play. And uh, and he would do play-by-play for the Rochester Red Wings League. And, and he would sit next to scouts before games and, like, he got a feel for sort of how to look at things from a scouting perspective. Like, he hijacked the show yesterday for five minutes to talk about how terrible Mitch Garver is. And we were like, oh, we'll keep a closer eye on that. Yeah, he said he's, yeah. he stabs at the ball. It drives me crazy. He just stabs at the ball. Well, unfortunately, last night he couldn't catch the ball when it mattered. Right. Uh, all right, I'm going to give this thing one more spin here just for now. Spin that wheel and around it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. Oh, this is an oldie but a goodie here. Yep. Bullpen. More like bullshit. Here are the numbers through the first month of the season. Major League Baseball bullpens. And I use Major League Baseball bullpens in air quotes because the Twins don't. They, uh, they very, tried to put one together, but apparently they don't have one yet. Very loosely. Go ahead. They have through the first uh, month of the season here, a 6.13 earned run average as a bullpen collective, which is the second worst ERA among bullpens. The Royals are the only one worse at 6.33. Uh, that includes four and a half walks per nine innings. Yep. And I believe the most home runs by far. It's not even close. The most home runs given up I feel like as a unit. Good job, Twins. Yep. Uh, when a ball gets put into play against this Twins bullpen, yep. opposing hitters are batting 343, not counting the home runs. Not counting oh, the home runs. So my. just like... So like how hard, hard crew every at bat. So like how hard is the ball hit when it's in play somewhere for fielders to uh, maybe make a play on it? And the answer is apparently very hard. Oh, very hard. I got an idea. It just occurred to, to me, and we've talked about this before on the show, but right now it makes perfect sense. The AL Central, aside from Cleveland, is just awful. Right? It's atrocious. It's a complete train wreck and, and a joke. Cleveland's going to win the division by 35 they games will. at this rate. They yeah. will. I, once again, on the Mackey and Judd show, call for relegation. It's the only thing that's going to make the 2018 season intriguing. Let's do it. Relegation. The last place team in the American League Central joins the Pacific Coast League for 2019. Yeah, so later in the year, you'd have these dramatic Twins versus Royals games to see like who gets sent twins, to the International Royals, League or the, poss- or the PCL. White Sox, possibly Twins, yeah. Tigers, White Sox, Tigers. Think about it. So then would you, in, in that case, if, if the Rochester Red Wings had a chance to maybe bump up if the Twins were on the way down... Maybe you'd want to keep Fernando Romero with the Red Wings so that you like these have a rooting interest for 2018 or 19. It's intriguing now. So maybe it's a mistake to start Fernando Romero today at Target Field. The only thing, like the only saving grace here is, well, Fernando Romero is one of the best pitching prospects in baseball and should be part of your rotation for the next five plus years. And you get to watch him for the first time today. So maybe there's a little like if he pitches well, maybe you start to feel good about the future, but. 
you are so close to pulling the trigger on a Brian Dozier trade right now in the next two months where your record's at. Like, you're going to have to start having those conversations with teams Absolutely. in the month of May just to, just to lay some groundwork if you don't start to win games pretty soon. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Relegation. It would keep. It would make the summer of 2018 actually intriguing at Target Field if there was a threat that the Pacific Coast League was going to be the Twins' home in 2018. Like, listen to the Blue Jays play-by-play guy and color commentator here. Like, just listen to the way. Like, they almost feel bad for the Twins and Mitch Garver and John Curtis last night. There goes Pilar. He got a terrific jump. There goes Morales, and they're not going to make a throw. Ball gets away. Here comes Pilar. He's going to score. Ground ball is short, and Gopé's coming home, and they boot it. All hands are safe. That ball gets away. Here comes another Romani <laughs> score. You know, it's not going to show up in the box score as errors or anything like that. But this is un-Minnesota Twins-like baseball. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, last year it was very last un- year, Minnesota Twins-like. But 2016 and 18, this is them. Yeah, this is very, this is very much them at times. Uh, Kent chimes in here. Uh, Kent from the Star Tribune. Any chance you'd put some blame for this pitching staff on the new brain trust? Let's talk about that when we come back. Absolutely, like some of it. You know, Zach Duke Zach Duke was good last night. Zach Duke's been atrocious so far this year, walking more than a batter per inning. Um, I mean, the, the problem is you've got some free agents that they brought in. You've got kind of a rotating, like the bottom five spots on the 40-man roster have been sort of rotating, revolving doors of just waiver claims, and they're just trying to, yeah. to bring arms in. I would say I have an answer for that. Let's talk about it when we come back. Also, the best news of the night had nothing to do with what was on the field. It was what was happening on Fox Sports North, actually. You and I were both texting about this last night. They might have, they may have stumbled into something here that they should which, consider Which long-term. I will praise them for, which I never do. Uh, Judd going to... This is going to pain Judd to praise Fox Sports North. No, it's fine. Also at 9.30, I've got a few Andrew Wiggins trade scenarios to float by you. And bonus pecking order at 10 o'clock, Dan Hayes on Twins from Target Field at 11.30, and some sports culture with our friend John Cosgrove from the Crafty Rogues at noon. Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back. Audio level full volume. It's your time. On 1500 ESPN. There goes Pilar. He got a terrific jump. There goes Morales, and they're not going to make a throw. Ball gets away. Here comes Pilar. He's going to score. Ground ball is short, and Gopé's coming home, and they boot it. All hands are safe. That ball gets away. Here comes another run. Bailey score. You know, it's not going to show up in the box score as errors or anything like that. But this is un-Minnesota Twins-like yeah. baseball. It's very Twins-like for this year, and it's going to continue to be at this rate. And it's been very Twins-like for a lot of years the past seven. Right? Yes. They've had a couple little pop-ups here and there. They went to the playoffs, but... Yeah. Uh, so Kent, our, our guy Kent Youngblood from the Star Tribune asks an absolutely valid question. Any chance? Because I've been very pro Falvey and Levine. I think you've been very pro Falvey yeah. and Levine for until the past now. Things years. have been yeah, and I, great. And I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of go down two paths here. I am still very pro Falvey and Levine long term. I think they are laying some really good groundwork. Um, it's possible that fans and media really didn't understand how bad things were behind the scenes for the Twins compared to other teams around the league. Just from a structural standpoint, uh, a bodies and system standpoint, and also how bad the pitching was. So long term, I'm in on Falvey and Levine. To answer Kent's question short term, any chance you'd put some blame for this pitching staff so far this year on the new brain trust? Well, you know, let's go down the list here. Fernando Rodney's mostly been garbage. Although he was the same way last April, and so 
he's the type of guy that you you pay $6 million for him knowing you're getting on a very expensive roller coaster and that the roller coaster starts very turbulent at the beginning of the year. Uh-huh. And that's been his thing. He gave up 15 runs last April and then didn't give up a run for the next two months. So, so far, it's been horrible for Fernando Rodney. Zach Duke has walked more batters per nine innings than anyone on the team so far. So he's been a disaster. Uh, Tyler Kinley, I think, was a mistake to put a Rule 5 guy. That one I didn't get. Yeah, at the back of your bullpen while JT Shagwa goes well, and figures it out in, in Los Angeles. So there's definitely things to look at a little bit sideways. But also, yep. like to be fair, Ryan Presley looks like he's figured something out. Kyle Gibson has... Kyle Gibson last night, he ran into some trouble, but five innings, a couple of runs. He, he's getting you strikeouts this year. You'll take five innings, two runs from Kyle Gibson every start. Like that, You're not going to look for eight innings from Kyle Gibson every night. You're going to take... Five innings and two runs. So I think it's been a mixed bag as far as, you know, pitchers who have bounced back that were terrible under the Terry Ryan regime, and then a couple bad decisions here and there that have led and to... And Reed had been pretty good until last night. I think he gave up the walk-off to um, Gomez in Tampa, but in, until last night had been pretty good. This is... Okay, when it comes to this regime, here's the most important thing uh, to me right now, and this is going to tell me a lot about where they stand with things. How do they handle Sano? That that becomes an incredibly because they're they're still n- new enough that and I like them, but they're still n- new enough that you don't know how they're going to handle each and everything that comes down the pike. And this one to me is incredibly important. If you continue to try and appease him, and if they truly now just say, "Hey, it's a it's a I think grade one strain, and it's not that bad," he's going to come back off the DL and be fine. And we go along about the charade. Like, it's no problem. My respect for what they're doing goes down drastically. If they now say, we got a problem here, and this is a key moment in this guy's career, I respect that. So beyond beyond roster moves and trying to build pitching staffs, which is obviously a crucial thing, really to get a feel for how these guys are going to operate and what they're going to do right now, my big focus is, how do you how do you handle a potentially crucial situation involving a guy who could be a key part of your franchise for years to come and or flame out quickly? And and it's going to partially depend on how you approach it. Yeah, and don't you think now that he's on the disabled list officially that this gives them this gives them a chance to sort of uh, to slow cook it? All right, first of all, don't rush back from your hamstring. Let's just, like short term. You have a hamstring injury. You want to make sure that your hamstring doesn't hurt anymore. And then from there, what do you do with him? And you can go up to 21 days on a rehab assignment for somebody. So you could pretty easily stash him away, starting off at high A Fort Myers, go down rehab at Fort Myers, and then all the way up to AAA. I would max out the 21-day rehab stint. I agree. And and part of that should be cut down on strikeouts, which I don't know how you're going to – like I don't know if you're going to find a magic solution in yeah. three weeks facing minor league pitching. But go figure out how to have a better command of the strike zone. Go eat a couple salads and yeah. lose some weight while you're at it. Get in a semblance of shape. Yeah, come come back and don't and come back and look like like you're at least prepared to professionally play third base. On the pitching front, mm-hmm. back to Kent's question. So it's the the pitching has been garbage here for years. Going back, I I, I look at when Johan Santana left after the 2007 season when they traded him to the Mets. If you take 2008. All the way through the end of the Terry Ryan era, 2016. So let's 
Last year, their pitching got a lot better for a lot of different reasons. I'm going to get into that in just a second. But if you just take the end of the Bill Smith regime and then the end of the Terry Ryan regime, 2008 through 2016, the Twins collectively had the worst earned run average in baseball. Second worst in the major leagues, only to the Colorado Rockies, who play in a phone booth at high altitude. So if you if you take away the fluky environment of Colorado, where let's face it, like when's the last time they had a dominant pitcher? It's almost impossible, mm-hmm. just to, just because of the conditions. The Twins have the worst pitching staff in baseball between 2008 and 2016. So this new front office came in, and it's not just as simple as well. Let's get everyone in a room, and like now we're gonna snap our fingers, and these pitchers. And this development pipeline, which has been eroding and behind the times for a number of years, it's just going to get better overnight. Um, I've told you the story a few years ago when I covered that beat, and there is a player that came up to me. Just I had written something about the Twins being behind the times analytically, and someone had read it in the clubhouse. And This is like five or six years ago now. And, uh, and someone came up to me and said, off the record, you know, keep banging that drum. You're spot on. The organization needs to change its ways compared to other teams. Shows me a scouting report for an upcoming series against you know, whoever the opponent was. And the scouting info, like this player literally like kind of he crumpled up the paper like this is not this is not valuable information. I don't need to know last 10 at bats what someone's batting average was <laughs> in a small sample size when other teams are rolling out proprietary process-based information. Yeah. So what Thad Levine and Derek Falvey have done to lay some groundwork that might take a while throughout all of the levels to, you know, for players to master this information and for this to become ingrained in the organization. Yep. When they came in, scouting reports for upcoming series at all levels were like a one or a two on a value scale of one to 10, where it's literally information you could get just doing a Google search yourself for a long time for the twins. And, and this improved a little bit at the end of the Terry Ryan regime, but what they've done is they've tried to take proprietary process-based information instead of a batting average, which could be a bleeder up the middle. Like if I got, if I faced a hitter five times and that guy got three seeing eye singles off me, but his average is 600, well, it looks like he rocks me, but really I own him, right? So they're focused more on process-based information. So that's the type of stuff like starting from ground zero that they're trying to implement behind the scenes. And it's part of the reason why they were a lot better last year. Yeah. So it's, so it's two different games. It's this long-term systems game that they're playing, and they're trying to they're trying to lay these new methods throughout every level of the organization. But in the short term, did they whiff on Tyler Kinley? Yes. Did they whiff on maybe Fernando Rodney? We'll see. It's possible they whiffed on him too. The good news is they didn't lock into bad long-term contracts. They had an eye toward the future with all these contracts. Lance Lynn, uh, Addison Reed's the only multi-year contract among the ones they signed. From a pitching standpoint, so like if you don't like these pitchers, they didn't lock into bad contracts. Yeah, they're gone. Like Phil Hughes is still under contract from the old regime through next year. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my spiel. This is a uh, this is right now a concerning step back because l- last year was was fun and and successful. But here's the thing about last year: was last year real? We all looked at, at it and started to say, well, it seems so because for months they they played well. But the the thing about this is this this is why in the back of your head as last year progressed you thought to yourself if you're Falvey you're you're looking at this and saying well this is great for now and it's it's good to see but if you took what's going on right now with this team and transplanted it back a year this is what I think they expected and so so fans are now going to say whoa whoa whoa, whoa hold on a second here 2016 is a disaster. You bring in new people, which is great. That's a good move. 
and you're successful, so continue the, the success. Well, in an ideal world, that happens. In a real world, sometimes what, what happens is what's transpiring right now. And if you had just taken April of 2018 and put it in 17, it would have led you down the path of, of Falvey being able to say, I can do everything I want now. Dozier would have been gone by now. Actually, Molitor would have Mo- been gone. Molitor's fired at some point. But, I'm not sure if Molitor is part of the problem, and Dozier certainly is not but, part of the problem. But, but, my, yeah. but my point is, I think I think when when Falvey got the job, he took the job with the expectation of, well, the team's not going to be as bad as it was in 2016, but it's still not going to be great, and therefore I can come in and make all the moves that I want to make. Well, then all of a sudden you make the the uh, one game wild card playoff, and you sign Paul to a contract extension. Dozier's not dealt, but this all this all goes back to why you had the feeling in the back of your head it last year that Falvey was thinking to himself, well, this is fun right now, and it's all well and good, but it does stop me from doing what I want to do. And now, and now, if things continue down this track, guess what? They're going to make the changes that they probably would, would have made and plan to make during the course of the 2017 season. You know, we can actually open up Twins vent lines. If you, if you guys have thoughts on the state of the Twins right now, which is... This is not the start that we all envisioned or hoped that they would have. You kind of hope that they would give us something to watch throughout the rest of the uh, the summer, but they're teetering on the brink of absolute irrelevance, and we just turned the calendar to May. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. What do you think of this email from our guy Matt? Matt okay. Dahl emails Mackie and Judd at 1500ESPN.com on Dozier. I say we keep Dozier on the bench for a few more games. He looks completely tuned out this season. This guy is supposed to be our leader. A leader doesn't allow this to happen. I think it's clear he wants out of Minnesota. Our offense actually looked better with Dozier on the bench last night. Well, it's not. like You can't, you can't take a one-game baseball sample and say the offense looked better. Dozier's the best hitter on the team. So I disagree with that. But mm-hmm. um, What do you make of – so uh, Matt says Dozier's just saying to hell with it. He's going to get a big payday somewhere else. Uh, it's a very difficult team to watch right now. He's right about the last thing. I don't buy that. I don't buy that, but he's going to be traded. If if they continue like this, the Dodgers or a team like that are are going to get to a point where they're going to say, okay, we, we've lost enough key players that will give you a pretty good package. Brian Dozier at this point is gone. Do I buy that he's now checked out and doesn't care? No, I don't. But you know what? This all as as I said, this is all regressed to what we expected a year ago, a- April. And if we're having this exact conversation on May 1st of last year, no one is surprised. The only surprised is a lot of us, and I don't blame us, got fooled. They yeah, got, for sure. got fooled because the team spiked up. But that that's the danger. This is the danger of pop-up seasons. This is the danger. Because a pop-up season leads you to believe that you've turned a corner. And you have sometimes. But there are sometimes that that you you have not and this is this is the twins 2015 to 16 and now the twins last year to this year yeah and like in some ways they a lot of guys Ed Rosario has turned a corner in a lot of ways and there are players who have turned corners but yeah this is this is going to be a start that is because of the top heavy nature of the American League now i mean you're not catching the Astros you're not catching the Red Sox or the Yankees you're lucky that your division still has a path and that the Indians are just barely over 500. I mean, that's the the, the other saving grace is that the Indians didn't start hot. If the Indians were like, you know, 20 and 7 as some of the other teams oh, around yeah, baseball are, you look like look where you'd be right now. Yes. So the fact that your division still 
allows a path. I don't know. Twins vent line if you want it. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. We've got uh, a, a pecking order to get to. We've got Andrew Wiggins trade scenarios. And we've got something that we can take away on the positive side for last night, too. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. And those are some boobs, by the way. Mackie and Judd. Uh, <laughs> on 1500 ESPN. All right, Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studio. Let's take a, a, a Twins vent line call here real quick. We were just talking during the break, too. I found that Roycey column from 2016, March of 2016. Where he points out this is so this is after Miguel Sano just tore up the major leagues in his 2015 sort of half rookie season, and Royce came in with some honesty that a lot of people weren't ready to hear yet. And I even read this at the time and was like, I don't know, man. I mean, he wasn't just pulling this out of thin air; he was getting this from people in the organization. But right. Miguel Sano has some growing up to do. Sano was always going to be able to hit, but right now he's a 22 year old kid rather than a 22 year old professional ready to put in the work that would allow him to be an all-star in his first full season. And it goes on to talk about weight issues and sort of his nonchalant attitude, et cetera. And there are almost 300 comments on this story. And I remember the social media feedback and it was just people destroying Pat Yeah, for pointing out now what appears to be obvious to everyone in retrospect. Let's uh, let's take this call and then in, in as non-condescending way as possible, I'm going to explain how there is a lesson to be learned for, from this entire thing. Which means it's totally going to be condescending and awesome. I'm going to do my best to remove the condescending tone and explain explain something that has become confused as as more and more people sit down at computers and write things. I hope you say, listen to me very closely and take your glasses off. That's that's condescending. Well, I will take the I, I will take the glasses off. Six five one six four six eight two five five. Hey, Will, you're on Twins Vent Line. <laughs> hey, um, so my, my big thing about the Twins last year is run differential. Um, we were number twelve in run differential, mm-hmm. so that means there are two teams with better run differential than us who did not make the playoffs. And I think just based on that, I was really skeptical going into the season. When your run differential is that bad you're not usually going to win as many games as they did. Also, the American League was not good last year. Um, I was looking at the standings. If the Twins would have finished, I think it was either 81 or 82 wins, they still would have made the playoffs. There just really weren't a ton of good teams in the American League last year. You know, When you combine that with the run differential, I think last year was just a flash in the pan. So while this is, you know, it's not fun to watch when they play like this, I don't think it's that surprising. I think there are lots of things last year that all came together to make them look a lot better than they actually were. Yep, Will, you're 100% right. And, really and I think where, so when when I made my prediction personally of, I think they're going to, I still think they're going to get to 90 wins and I think they're going to take a step forward. It was with all those things in mind, but also the fact that, at least to me, Byron Buxton was primed to maybe become one of the top overall players in the American League. If he He's already the best defensive player in the major leagues. If he can just sort of like do 75% of what he did offensively in the second half, and obviously he's been off the field. So, like, injuries have played a role in this, too, as a couple emailers are pointing out. But still, like, last night, you had a catcher and a pitcher in the 10th inning who had no business it's, being in a ninth-grade yeah. baseball game the way that they let one of the slowest runners in baseball Steal second base like they were deer in the headlights. It's the ineptitude. That's what's disturbing. And and last night was not the first time. Friday night 
is one of the worst baseball games I've ever attended. That Reds game, four hours, and it wasn't it wasn't even the length of the game. It was the overall ineptitude and the Twins' inability to. It, it does. It looks like going back to 2016. That's the only way I can describe it. It's inept. Yeah. And so you're not watching a product and saying to yourself, okay, this is just a bad night. You're saying this is a trend now. Uh, to the Sunil point, and, and this this is a good lesson that people should keep in, in mind, including us. When guys like Royce and Suhan or, or beat guys who are around the Twins and talk to people like you used to on a daily basis, write something. We now have a tendency in the rest of the world, especially th- those who like the team and and write about the team themselves, to say, oh, hold on a second. Miguel Sano, that's not fair to Miguel Sano. Unfortunately, the majority of people who defended him don't talk to anybody who knows him. They don't know, know him. I barely do. I mean, I've been around him a couple times, but that does but not mean that tight. I know him. But the point being is when Patrick or Jim write what they did about him, they're not showing up at the ballpark and saying, there's a fat slob, think I'll rip him today. They're, they have talked to people. That column that Pat wrote was spent after the man would not was in Fort Myers for all of March and basically was bored and went to the ballpark every single day. And guess what? He ran into people saying, wow, there's some concern here. And guess what? Those people worked for the Twins. So, 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 and, and those people also put Sano in right field, which is why there was a lot of skepticism, and that's valid too. Exactly, that's but, valid too. But, but my point, my point, without being condescending, is we we tend to think, well, well, Patrick and Jim write, write about the twins just like a blogger does, and bloggers have their place. I'm not saying that, so don't hear that. But if you if you break down the twins for a blog, that doesn't mean that you attend games. That doesn't mean that you talk to anyone with the team. And that means that you you have opinions and you are very much entitled to those, just like I am or you, and that's great. But it's also why you've got to be very careful when you read a column and say, well, this is bogus because this guy's just like me because we both write about the twins. No, you're not the same. You're different. And that's fine, too. But Royce and Lavelle and Berardino and Suhan and people who are around the twins a lot talk to a lot of people that most of us don't. And they're the ones who often say, you know what, Miguel Sano, there's real concern here. Yeah, and so I think what what if you could go back and now, you know, in retrospect, Pat was 100% right. And he was the one who wrote it first, and then Suhan came along at some point and sort of added to it a year later. But Royce isn't just writing something out of thin air in that situation. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't look at Sano and say, he looks like a fat cow and I'm going to rip him. Yeah, he which is, you know what, he's kind of doing that with P.J. Fleck a little bit. And I don't agree with him on that. But in the in this particular case, when it comes to Miguel Sano, it was very obviously people inside the organization telling him we're concerned about this long term. Uh, there's some red flags here. We love him as a as a power hitter, and we you know we love his potential. So then it's almost like you as a consumer have to make the decision. Okay, if he is a conduit taking information that this team doesn't feel comfortable just throwing a guy under the bus publicly, that they want to get a message out there sort of sideways. How do I feel and how much do I trust the regime that's saying this? Absolutely. And that's where I understand, and this is why I had some skepticism too. My first reaction to the column was, well, wait a second. These are the same boneheads. They're putting him in right field. Like this guy's been a shortstop and a third baseman his whole professional career. And because they decided they were going to sign this this uh, power hitter from the KBO, Young Ho Park, 
mm-hmm. and take a flyer on him and put another DH first base type corner guy on the roster. Like your star young player has to take the lump and go to th- go to right field as a 275 pound guy at the time, and then he ballooned up to 300. And at they some were point. desperate to try to keep so, him shape. So yes. their incompetence and that terrible decision right. overshadowed what was a correct message and what was right. a correct red flag. Now, the, But the difference in Patrick's case was he spent that entire spring in Florida, and so he was probably told this by, I would guess, three or four people. Yes. Like like if you go if you show up at the ballpark one day and you never go and one person's like, yeah, we're, we're concerned here, and you, you write that, that's valid. But it's a lot more valid when you've spent the entire spring in Fort Myers I mean, Pat was there. Pat was there when the twins were trying to sell. Were trying to sell that Miguel was doing his work in right field, and Pat hadn't seen Miguel in like three weeks, and found out I think he was doing a commercial or something. Yeah, he wasn't working in right field. Yeah, but so, you know, and it's like, and I kind of empathize with Sano there because this is this is a ridiculous decision but, to put me in right field. But yeah, be but, a professional. But that was, but that was, that was step one. Of showing you the level of concern about oh my god this guy is in terrible shape yeah and here that we was sit. a desperate that was a desperate plea to say maybe if we do this seemingly stupid thing it's going to work and of course it didn't work at all yeah um, let's let's come back there was there was something we enjoyed about the game last <laughs> we're gonna night. get to it and we're gonna get to it here when we come back and also later on Dan Hayes will join us from the Athletic he covers the Twins. Very insightful. He'll join us in about an hour and 45 minutes. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studio. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Here we go! On 1500 ESPN. Want to run a race, but uh, not train for it? The Medtronic TC One Mile is the race for you. Thursday, May 10th, the runners of all skill levels will run along the riverfront downtown Minneapolis for the fast and fun race with ends. With the J.P. Morgan Chase and Company Post Race Party. Wow. Complete with food trucks, cash bar, and live DJ. Once again, I wish the people could see what I just saw. Head to 1500ASPN.com, no, keyword events, for more details. You guys are killing me. I didn't do anything. No, you were on your best behavior this time. <laughs> Phil, not so much. Those are my running moves. That's right. I got nothing for you guys right now. What did you think of the broadcast booth last night? Because I... Thoroughly enjoyed Justin Morneau and our guy Roy Smalley. I only have one question. Um, I I was I was hoping that I think Justin joined the broadcast in the third. Is that correct? I think he joined in, in the third inning. I was uh, hoping that he would stick around for the rest of the broadcast. That was, and I will speak very slowly because my criticisms of uh, Fox Sports North have been frequent and at times harsh. I'm sure that was outstanding. That was. Smalley is is great, and and if he didn't join this show on Thursdays, I would still say he's great because I learned something every time. But when you put Morneau, who who I actually liked in the Red Series, he's a little stiff, but he's new. It's tough not to be. But when you put him with Roy, he completely let his guard down, I thought, and I— the the discussion of the two seam and four seam fastball was a graduate level baseball college course that if you didn't geek out then you don't like baseball that much. It was definitely yeah. It was a uh, oh it was great. It was uh, a adult film equivalent. I don't know how many casual fans get into the two seam versus four seam breakdown. I love it. You love it. We're hardcore baseball fans. So if if you love Bert's sort of surface level analysis and his jokes, which we've heard you know for twenty years, and 
That's what happens when you have 162 fart games. Fart jokes and circling people. Do you enjoy that? Does film? he still tell fart jokes? Oh, he loves the he loves flatulence. I know he loves flatulence. Yeah, I just nobody. don't know if I've heard the fart jokes lately, but um, I, I so people are asking, you know, why wasn't Morno in the booth the whole game? It's because he's doing the pregame and the postgame as well. So they that's that's a lot to ask somebody because they do they do you know pre pregame planning and. It's not like you just show up at six thirty for Twins Live and they, they get to the ballpark early and they and they're planning out their segments and they're you know getting their video yeah, together. It was, so it was great. So, but but I think the formula of having a three man booth for at least an hour, hour and a half for those middle three innings or what, would it be third inning through maybe seventh inning, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's two hours of the game. So you give a guy who did the pregame show a couple innings to go get some dinner and watch the first part of the game. Come back in for. Third inning through seventh, and then go collect yourself for the post game show. That seems like a great formula, and and pretty clearly they're looking to replace Bert because he's only doing eighty games the last couple of years, and he's getting up there. He's in the Hall of Fame now. But I'm with you. I thought they had a great chemistry. They played off each other very well. They have they both have a great touch, Morno and Smalley, uh, like a feel for analytics and for sort of the old school human side of the game. Yes, and they do a great job of communicating the, that to the audience. The, the story that Justin told about uh, about playing at Class A at one point and being forced to choke up on the, the bat awesome. with two strikes was a great story. And this, But this goes back to my, and this has nothing to do with Dick, okay? But this goes back to my point that I've brought up for a few months now. If Roy and Justin, to me, that is the that would be an ideal baseball booth. If you could get Roy comfortable enough to come in, in and out of breaks and read the read the disclaimers consistently and the ads and all that, but if you could just ha- have them sit there and talk baseball, and if Roy wants to say there's a ground ball to short, he can say it. Yeah, how and much if he do doesn't? We, that's fine too. Like I, I'm not saying we don't need that, especially in baseball where. You know, it's it's you're not watching quite as closely as you would a football game. Baseball is more of a sort of a background thing that you've sure. got on. Maybe you're on your computer, you're doing stuff around the house. So I I do like to hear the play by play guy. You know, if I'm not watching because I'm maybe multitasking, and all of a sudden, like, oh, there's a fly ball to deep left field, and you're going to look in a football game. You're devoting three hours once a week to your favorite football team, and you're pretty much locked in to that football game. So I think it's even less necessary for a play-by-play guy to be in the booth for a football game because, like, I can see that the pass is in the air and someone's either catching it, it or not. If it's a significant play in baseball, tell me. But if if I look up and there are no outs and then I look up and it's one out and it was a ground ball to second, I don't really care You'll that figure much. it out. I'll, I'll be like, oh, there, there's an out now. Right. But just the, just the discussion of them going back and forth about strategies and about changes in the game and approaches – it's. I learned more last night than I've learned watching a Twins game in a long time. Yeah, it was uh, the story that you brought up where Justin Morneau was hitting 400 in the first half of, of a minor league season, and his coach brought him over at one point and told him, with two strikes, this is why you need to choke up a little bit on the bat. And Morneau was like, dude, I'm hitting 400. And it was a great day. He's like, yeah. And he's I was like, really mad. I'm hitting 400, man. He was like insulted that somebody would try to fix his swing when he's hitting 400. And he's like, no, I'm... You're hitting 400 against this level of pitching. I want you to hit 280, 300 against major league pitchers, and this is something that you're going to have to get used to if you want to be good in the major leagues. So 651-646-8255. Dave, what's going on, man? I've got an idea for how the Twins can decide what to do with Miguel Sano for the future. All right. You get uh, Glenn Taylor to sit down with him and look him in the eye, <laughs> and whatever he determines is the exact opposite. 
<laughs> Dave, I think you might be onto something very, very solid. It's a great there. idea. I Dave. sort of like it. Yeah, you're hired, Dave. Thank you very much. I'll take the job. <laughs> now listen, five hundred thousand dollars, Dave. Tell me that you're loyal. I've got a hundred fifty million dollars in a briefcase in straight cash, just sitting over here to the right. All you have to do is answer the. No. <laughs> I'm good. Miguel. Oh, I'm fine. Miguel, is that. Why do you have nine Lara bars in your mouth? Because they're, they're, they're organic. You're not supposed to eat nine of them, Miguel. <laughs> they still have sugar. I like Dave's idea, though. Yeah, that, that worked out so well the last time that conversation took place. Andrew, I want you to tell me that you love the game basketball. Mr. Taylor, I love the game. Okay, here's the money. For sure. Okay, cool. Sounds good. It'll all be in your account by six o'clock tomorrow, tomorrow evening. Thanks but, for playing. But I I will be very disappointed if they if if the current brain trust does not do what you talked about, Phil, which is use all twenty one days here. And I'm not concerned about him starting to hit bombs again. I'm concerned about an actual lifestyle change. I'm concerned about send him down, that's fine. Fort Myers is fine. And you rehab him and you say, Miguel. This is, as far as we're concerned, this is going to be the start of the season for you right now. Right, but I, I think what you'd worry about is even if you went through all of that, which I agree. I mean, that's do whatever you can to the extent that you can if you're the organization, and you're and you're not just happy with a two forty hitter who's going to break the major league strikeout record if he were to stay healthy. Which is like that's the funny thing. If he were to stay healthy, he would break the major league strikeout record. But he's not going to break that record because he can't stay healthy. Because he's not in shape. part of it's part of it, not all of it, is because he can't stay in shape. Yep. But if we're talking about a 25 year old dude who's been a professional for, I mean, he was a professional starting at like age 16 or 17. 16. So he's like been they a professional him. for almost a decade. Yeah, they signed him at 16. And if you don't have that Kobe Bryant sort of dog in you, right, where you're going to get up at a weird time and you're going to put up a thousand shots before the sun comes up, or if you don't have that, like Roy Halladay, guys like Albert Pujols, the stories about Roy Halladay are legendary. And I get that he's a pitcher, and it's maybe it's a little apples to oranges, but I mean, it, it, the work ethic isn't the work. The work ethic is apples to apples. That dude would be done with his two-hour morning workout at the Phillies Clearwater Complex during spring training every year for two months. At like five in the morning, he'd be like finishing up whatever six o'clock whatever guy guys would roll in for their long day of and workouts he'd be getting done, yeah. and he'd be getting done with his hour and a half or two hour morning session before right. joining the team workouts yep. and you can't teach that and if you're observing other players around the league and the work that they're putting in the work that Adrian Beltre puts in for 20 years to be a 39 year old 300 hitter in a first ballot Hall of Famer you think that dude's rolling out of bed and drinking Starbucks every morning no yeah that dude's working his He's ass off for plan. 20 years. Yeah, you think that guy is like eating fast but, food every day? No. But this is but this is no longer a question to me about about can you can you get him back, get get him playing and trade him? This is now a question about can you get him back and can you get him to a point where you actually feel where you can come really close to saving his career. Which is amazing it, that you would have to try and from, save the career of a talented guy who should be driven enough to do but, it on. But on. but we're but we're talking about Somebody who seemingly is as far away from from Kobe as you can possibly get, and so it's a very simple question: Can you get him back, and can you save his career? Let's take uh, one more Twins vent line here. Is it Tim? Jim. Jim, what's going on, Jim? Uh, I have two words to describe Miguel Sano: Albert Hainsworth. The guy who signed a one hundred million dollar contract. They look similar. To, although, you? Yep. although Albert Hainsworth. Isn't it correct to say that once he signed the contract, once he was sort of guaranteed fifty or hundred million dollars, then he pieced out? Well, yeah, that part is is true. But if the Twins give Miguel that kind of money, 
I mean, you can see it. You can see the writing on the wall. You know. Yeah, and Jim, I don't think there's like right now. If they had to make a decision, do you want to do you want to let it ride or pay him? There's zero chance they would pay him big money right now. Maybe they try to lowball. But Hainsworth him, but. at least at least fooled us to get the contract. This is a guy who's who's going to flush his future down the toilet before he ever gets that contract. That's the remarkable thing. Ordinarily in sports, if you have a guy like this, he'll fool you for an extended time period to get that big contract and then sort of cash out and say, I'm done. He's not going to get there at this point. That's the apathy here. Yeah. That that's, that's the potentially scary thing. Because if you care that little about your profession and your career— that's where I'm saying they're trying to save his career. They're not trying. They're not just trying to get him back and now trade him to Tampa. They're trying to say, can we can we basically salvage you to be a productive player? Mm-hmm. You know what? Let's go from Miguel Sano to a a more driven, competitive, bright future star like Andrew Wiggins. Let's talk about him when we come back. I've got some trade scenario. I know our intern Sin has been working on trade machine scenarios. Yep. Uh, going to bring at least three to the table here and see if we can come up with something realistic, if the Timberwolves are indeed going to go down that path. Mackie and Judd.